Hello, this is Melissa, and it is the 9th of July, 2023. And this Redux is a, from a talk that Alan did May the 5th, 2019. Short-term memory, because our lives are short and agendas are damning. Our masters hide evidence within long-term planning. It's a very good talk, and I was actually on the hunt for a talk in which Alan covered, which he did quite a few times, Quigley's assertion that in a new system that we would go into at some point, corporations would present us with a new type of feudalism, and corporate CEOs would be the new feudal overlords. I had that in mind because I was thinking about the tech world in which we live the fourth industrial revolution which we're you know we're already really in and we're down here screaming about this that rights freedom democracy Ellen said something to the effect of we might as well just let go of the idea of democracy altogether because we no longer have it he was bemoaning the fact that there wasn't any news worth talking about that week so he talked about quite a lot of things about the materialistic society that we live in, post-religion, post-Christianity, post-the family, and how that has led to the creation of a situation in which we aren't reproducing fast enough. We have a declining population, and that is despite what they tell us about there being too many of us. So it's a good talk. I will leave you to listen to the talk, um, and I'm going to talk about a few other different things. Even though he was bemoaning the fact that there was no news, he covered quite a few interesting articles, Ireland, Big Tech and Privacy, Japan's Child Population Declines, How to Spy on Google and Facebook's Spying, DARPA Wants Brain Interfaces for Able-Bodied Warfighters, and then he talked about porting down and biowarfare testing that went on, how millions were used in germ war tests in Britain. So he actually covered a lot of interesting stories, and I will try to check all those links, and if some of them are dead, I'll look for replacement links on Internet Archive. But what was on my mind were the few little things that are out there to talk about. One of the big stories that they have hit us with this last week on the 4th of July, a judge from Louisiana filed a federal injunction against the Biden administration that would block them from contacting social media companies because they the this injunction claims that the Biden administration colluded with big tech to censor and scrub articles during the COVID-19 pandemic. Let's scroll through here. This is an article from the New York Post. It said the Justice Department will appeal a federal court ruling that blocked Biden administration officials from contacting social media companies because of collusion concerns, court documents show. 
U.S. Court Judge Terry Doughty, a Trump appointee, ruled Tuesday that the White House likely violated the First Amendment by flagging content for big tech companies to scrub during the COVID-19 pandemic. Pursuant to Federal Rule of Appellate Procedure 3A, all defendants hereby appeal to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit, the Court's July 4, 2023 Preliminary Injunction Order. Read a notice of appeal filed Wednesday by Principal Deputy Assistant Attorney General Brian Boynton and Federal Programs Branch Special Counsel Joshua Gardner. Doughty concluded that the plaintiffs, led by the states of Missouri and Louisiana, were likely to succeed in their lawsuit against the federal government and issued a preliminary injunction limiting dozens of Biden administration officials from attempting to coordinate with social media giants to remove content. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre told reporters on Wednesday that the administration certainly disagrees with this decision and will continue to promote responsible actions to protect public health, safety, and security when confronted by challenges like a deadly pandemic and foreign attacks on our election. Our view remains that social media platforms have a critical responsibility to take action or to take account of the effects of their platforms are having to the American people, but make independent choices about the information they present. They are a private, as you know, entity, and it is their responsibility to, you know, to act accordingly. And so we're going to continue to be responsible in that way, she added, noting that the DOJ was in the process of reviewing the injunction. Officials subject to the injunction include Jean-Pierre, DOJ and FBI employees, Health and Human Services Secretary Javier Becerra, and Surgeon General Vivek Murthy. The case was filed by Republican Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry and former Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt, who is now a member of the U.S. Senate. Schmidt and Landry included the suppression of the Post's reporting on Hunter Biden and discussion of the so-called COVID-19 lab leak theory as evidence that the government infringed on the First Amendment. Now, my understanding is that this is more than 150 pages. I have not read it, and I don't know that I will have time to read it, but what occurred to me is that Things like this, they're being celebrated, it's being celebrated as being a big deal, a big, big deal. But I'm thinking, I remember Alan talking about the back doors that had to be built into computers and into software programs, into anything that basically that we use that will allow, what would that be, only the government or the big tech companies themselves to have access to our private data. And we all saw what Snowden revealed with the NSA. So we're, we've had multiple, multiple whistleblowers and limited hangouts that tell us that we really have no privacy. And the idea in an injunction, and again, I haven't read it, but that, that somehow government bad, big tech not bad, except if they're being coerced to collude by the government. You see what I'm saying? It's, you know, we have to know at this point that big tech is not our friend. And yet, interestingly, people do still think that there are 
you know, huge billionaires, case in point, would be Elon Musk and Twitter, taking over Twitter. Now, I say this without any evidence. It's just my belief that the amount of money paid for Twitter by Musk could not possibly have been warranted. That the system of Twitter was never designed, if you look at it, to be a money-making entity. So the, the assertion that I'm going to make is it looks like, from the get-go, Twitter is one of those Leica CIA front company. It's Leica. And, and that's really all I need to say there. You're not looking at a company that, from its inception and the way that it was designed, appears to have been designed to ever have a working model for income. And I don't know a lot about Twitter, but I think that the idea that Elon Musk cares about free speech despite how many tweets and interviews that he has given to the contrary it's just to me it's a, a laughable thing he looks like a player like an actor whose job it is to play the big tech savior the one the one lone cowboy out there who really cares about free speech now I just started the, my little Twitter account and I linked to a video that I had posted on BitChute and um, someone said, oh, that's already been pulled down and, and it wasn't pulled down. When I, when I followed that thread to see what had happened, it blocked people from going to view the video on BitChute it had deemed it unsafe, and I thought, oh, my video. But then I realized what Twitter had done, and I don't know if this is still the case today, but a few days ago, what they had done was they had blocked any link that led to BitChute, deeming the entire site of BitChute was not safe. So there's free speech for you. Then there is something, again, I haven't spent a lot of time investigating this, but the amount of tweets that one can send in a day or look at in a day have been limited, and certain things can only be viewed if one signs into their Twitter account. And the reason that this has been done, we are told, is because the bot problem you see, Twitter's got a bot problem, and bots are doing data scraping um, and delivering that to AI. So it's to protect us, right? And his uh, new CEO, Linda Yakarina, said, well, there's always a few bumps. You start off, you, 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 sometimes you have to dismantle things before you can get them working again. I actually think she said sometimes you have to slow down before you can slow down momentarily before you can pick up speed. But what had really, really got me on the idea of CEOs being the new feudal overlords was because I was doing a little bit of scrolling around the net and I realized 
I realized that it was that time of year rolling around for the what they call the Sun Valley Conference to happen. And the Sun Valley Conference is something that is hosted by an investment bank named Allen & Co. And it's held every year. And so I'm just going to read you a little article about that. What we know about the ultra-private Sun Valley Conference host. Outside of its annual conference, the firm, which doesn't even have a website, maintains a mysteriously low profile. Now, I'm not that interested in Allen & Co. They're an investment bank, and if they want to be mysterious and private, that's fine. But I am interested in the event that they host every year in Sun Valley, Idaho. So that starts Tuesday, July 11. One of the most closely watched business gatherings of the year, Sun Valley remains highly secretive. Little public knowledge beyond who might attend and who actually attended is traditionally available. A handful of photographers are allowed. And there shows a picture of Apple CEO Tim Cook at the event in 2019. It said the event's organizer, Allen & Co., does next to no publicity either about the event or about itself beyond the fact that a team of extremely well-connected bankers has engineered mega-deals at the star-studded conference for more than 30 years. Okay, so they go into what is Allen & Co. and who are they, and I'm going to scroll back away from that. So here are some of the deals that were brokered at this event. Disney's merger with ABC, 1996. Google's IPO, that's an initial public offering, 2004. The $18 billion merger between Activision and Vivendi Games, 2011. Twitter's IPO, 2013. Jeff Bezos' purchase of the Washington Post, 2013. Facebook's $19 billion purchase of WhatsApp, 2014. There are essentially three kinds of people that the Sun Valley Conference, uh, the Allen & Co. want to attract to the conference. CEOs, their families, and institutional investors, according to Fortune magazine. Earlier this month, Variety published a list of 50 people invited to Sun Valley this year so far. Familiar names like Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, and Mark Zuckerberg made the list, while regulars, including Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, were not invited. There are a lot of articles that you can find about this event, but several of them that I looked at made a really big deal about the fact that Elon Musk had not been invited to this year's event, just like a big deal was made of the fact that he was not at Davos this year. To me, again, this is all theater, uh, elaborate theater. I no more think that Elon Musk is out of the billionaire's club than, well, you know, I just, I don't buy that. So that's what got me on this whole train of thought. But really, the idea in, in my mind was we are in this world in which the skeletons of national governments are still allowed to dangle in the closet like some macabre Halloween decoration. But I think Alan nailed it, you know, democracy that we keep arguing about, that we vote and, and, 
you know, demand our rights, this, this is over. We are in the new feudalism. So thinking about feudalism, I, I wanted to see, you know, how is this being discussed? I'm sure that other people are talking about this idea out there. And I stumbled on a what you might call a public intellectual by the name of Evgeny Morozov. And some of you may have heard of him. I was not familiar with him, but he's written books about the Internet, the dangers, privacy, um, big tech, etc., and so forth. This site that I was looking at seems to have a little bit of a liberal slant. I'm only saying that because they're saying that those intellectuals who cry out against what we call neo-feudalism are only screaming about it because communism didn't happen in this country and, and these conservative thinkers have to have something to scream about. This is from the article, the, this is the Los Angeles Review of Books. A number of technology commentators share the libertarian conservative critique of technology's role in contemporary feudalization, even as they don't embrace fossil fuels and suburbia. Already in 2010, in his influential book, You Are Not a Gadget, tech guru Jaron Lanier observed the emergence of peasants and lords of the Internet. This theme has increased in prominence as a handful of tech companies have become ever richer and more attractive, turning their owners into billionaires on the basis of the cheap labor of their workers, the free labor of their users, and the tax breaks bestowed on them by cities desperate to attract jobs. Apple, Facebook, Microsoft, Amazon, and Alphabet, the parent company named for Google, together are worth more than most every country in the world, except the United States, China, Germany, and Japan. The economic scale and impact of these tech supergiants, or overlords, is greater than that of most so-called sovereign states. Evgeny Morozov describes their dominance as a hyper-modern form of feudalism. Another thinker, I, Albert Laszlo Barabasi, explained the processes underpinning such a neo-feudalism in his analysis of the structure of complex networks, that is, networks characterized by free choice, growth, and preferential attachment. These are networks where people voluntarily make links or choices. The number of links per site grow over time, and people like things because others like them. The Netflix recommendation system, for instance, relies on this assumption. Link distribution in complex networks follows a power law where the most popular item generally has twice as many hits or links as the second most popular, which has twice as many as the third most, and so on down to the insignificant differences between those in the long tail of the distribution curve. This winner-takes-all or winner-takes-most effect is the power law shape of the distribution talks about how this leads to concentration. Now, I'll put this book review up, and you can read it yourself. But what I'm saying is that many thinkers have noticed that the world that we are living in has the elements, has the look of feudalism. And Alan was talking in this talk about how hateful people are in social media, in their chat rooms, and they they just have their one lines of, of hate. 
that they sling at each other. And he said, what's so sad is that they're hating on the things that have been given to them to hate about. And I noticed that Zuckerberg has launched a new company, and this is called Threads. And evidently, this just launched a couple of days ago. It says, Threads, Meta's new Twitter killer is up, active, and might get Zuckerberg sued. Threads, the newest app within Meta's omnipresent social media empire, is officially online, and Twitter is reportedly not too happy. Elon Musk's lawyer, Alex Spiro, sent a letter to Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg hours after Threads' launch on Wednesday writing that Twitter has concerns that Meta has engaged in systematic, willful, and unlawful misappropriation of Twitter's trade secrets and other intellectual property. The letter includes the accusation that the Bay Area tech giant hired former Twitter employees and used confidential trade secrets to accelerate Thread's development. Twitter intends to strictly enforce its intellectual property rights. No one on the Thread's engineering team is a former Twitter employee. That's just not a thing, said Meta in response. The new platform looks and feels like Twitter, with a vertical feed of text-based posts that can be replied to, quoted, and reposted. Posts can be up to 500 characters long and include links, photos, and videos. Now, a lot of people in Hollywood and other places have been used to jump on this uh, launch. They're saying how wonderful it is. They've accused Twitter of becoming a, another just outpost for conservatives and hateful people. And I notice Ellen DeGeneres called Threads the new gay Twitter. So, you know, but these people are... Did Ellen DeGeneres tweet that? No, I don't think she did. No more than Trump tweets or Musk tweets. I mean, these people have teams. So, I'm saying, <laughs> as Alan said in this talk, I'm, I'm warning you to be careful. He said it in 2019, all that time ago. That seems like a lifetime ago now for what we've been, you know, the last few years, that we did not have free speech. And there is a, a little clip of a fellow talking at the World Economic Forum about digital currency and how that, he's basically talking about that as a form of social coercion. And I will look for that and post that if I can. But... It also reminded me of the famous Marshall McLuhan quote that the medium is the message. And we are so in that world now where we have these little places that we can hang out. We try to reach each other. And I, can, I understand why Alan just loved his sights and staying away from open comments and chat rooms, you know, and the, these sites where, and, and not taking on advertisers, you know, he could say what he wanted to say within reason, and he did not have to worry about getting bounced off of a venue, off of a forum. And I'm cautioning you that these places that we go, and we go, and I go, Let's not think that we are free to say what we want to say because that, that window closed a long time ago. 
And so it is an unfortunate thing, but I do believe that there are ways in which people can still affect change. And I think that that means paying attention to your own environment, not your social media environment, but your immediate environment and seeing what you can affect there. And here is Alan's talk. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 5th of May 2019. I hope everyone's getting into the optimism that we have. Occasional optimism anyway, it depends where you are, isn't it? Of, of a coming summer. And hopefully here it won't be as fiery, you might say, as it was last year. Perhaps, we'll see. But last Wednesday I had snow here again in the morning and it's been pretty cool at night indeed. But that's that's the way it goes and this this little planet that we live on it's true we're born in this little planet, aren't we? And we we've got a short lifespan, very short. I always stress this because it's so true. And the longer you live, in fact, and more people you will see, even from school, early school. I can remember a girl at school when I was about seven or eight years old, uh, who sat opposite me, or across from me, and who just disappeared one day. And it turned out that she died of, I think it was leukemia. And that brings it home to you at an early age that things can be very, very temporary. And more so as you get older and you understand death much more easily, I think. Everyone tries to deny it to an extent because otherwise we'd all cave in and be running for Prozac, uh, you know, before we knew it. Because it's not a natural thing to dwell on death naturally all the time. And they have terms for it in psychiatry and psychology and so on to do with that very, very topic because we are definitely, definitely influenced by the system in which we're born naturally. We're in a very materialistic system today. In a phase, it's hard to, I wouldn't say it was a, a post, totally post-religious phase or post-Christian phase for sure, because Christianity changed long, long before, centuries before too, because money has always been part of the system and you need money to survive in the system. And we really don't know how we'd survive at all. In the past, that is, how could we have survived unless you lived in a communal type? collectivist type society. Perhaps a long, long time ago we certainly did. And we know that even from the, the different uh, societies are always digging up across Europe uh, that uh, the people were, the, the different groups and ethnic groups were very, very old indeed and had lived after ice ages and, and came back into the same countries between thaws, then back out again and back in again. That's what happened. And they, they know this too. But again, there were more collectivist society or tribal societies. And there were, they call them hunter-gatherers, but I think they were agricultural too. And they had to have some kind of order within society for it to function at all. And that's the same anywhere across the planet. But once you, you came in with this odd thing called money, and it is odd, isn't it, really? It's a substitute for wealth. Uh, real wealth, and real wealth initially was what you, you needed. <laughs> it was basics and necessities. And eventually you find that the richer families had simply killed those around them, stolen their properties, 
and that technically was wealth. And then when she could transmute that into coinage, for instance, about 800, I think it was 800 BC or so, that they actually came out with actual coins, they claim. Before that, they used strips of gold, which they would cut off. They'd wind it around their arms even thousands of years ago. And then before that, they used silver. Silver was more common than gold. But this odd metal became a substitute, as I say, for for wealth, real wealth. And I say real wealth at one time was was basically your necessities, what you had to live on, land, how you could grow food or you could hunt and things like that. These were basic necessities. But now wealth has become really divorced from necessities. And those who, who know how to accumulate wealth and down through the ages, I mean, become awfully, awfully, awfully powerful people and or powerful families for that matter. And today you'll find the most very, very wealthy people have been given positions to control us uh, and to be, have control over us as supposedly uh, philanthropists and inventors or whatever they also want to call them, although really they're just big businessmen in an age of public-private partnerships. And I did the talks years and years ago on the public-private partnerships that came out of the Trilateral Commission's findings of, of how they wanted to, to, to change or run the world then, and the CFR uh, branch of it too, said that it was time for these philanthropists, these these suddenly, uh, people you'd never heard of before, who suddenly became famous using the, the fame machine, the same machine that creates stars in music or, or movies. Sorry to create them as though they were some, some kind of a, a genius, you see. And they should participate in running the world and governing the world. But they never ever mentioned the fact, well, how can you have a democracy when you have people now being up, basically self-appointing them? Or groups like the private organization CFR, private group, uh, telling them to just take their positions of power over us. Uh, that's not democracy. It's not even governance in, in, the, in the term that you know of it. Perhaps in the new term that you don't know about, of course, because there's always two ways to look at everything, especially in today's very deceptive system. But the system they're, they're bringing us into is supposed to be post-democratic. And during this period of time of post-democratic governance, you are definitely being ruled by organizations and foundations with front groups that are appointed or self-appointed to govern us, basically, either under the guise of environmentalism well, do you, is there, an, is there some kind of special party that calls itself, uh, so that they can vote for? Or are they simply there because they appointed themselves to be there? Who appointed them to attach themselves to local councils or city councils or state councils or provincial councils and federal councils for that matter? Did anyone get a vote on that? No, it didn't happen. And what I'm just simply saying here is we don't really participate much at all. And the way we're ruled, because we are ruled, and that's the difference between democracy and rulership. And rulership, you're simply ruled like, like monarchy would rule you. But it's been done so slickly that people have, have accepted it, because it, it, no one points out to them, wait a minute, this is not a democracy. Yeah. 
And the Club of Rome, of course, a big, big think tank for this organization, who hit upon that idea a long time ago was part of their job was to find a way to unite the planet. Remember, it's a global system here for global governance. And they said that, that they find a common enemy to, to unite the whole world, but like to save the world, you see. So they, they came up with the idea that global warming and famine and so on would, and, and the like would fit the bill. And that's where the climate change and all that came out of too. That's also where Agenda 21 came out of. Agenda 21 for the 21st century, with all of its subsections to be signed and signed and signed throughout this whole century. And carbon taxes, all that, it's all out of the same agenda, you see. Well, we didn't get to vote on it. Uh, you're not going to get to vote on it. And you simply have to believe it. Well, it's quite amazing to watch religions being destroyed by the same organizations that are running us now as they give you a new belief system, and, and it really is based on belief, isn't it? What you believe, and they're not going to give you a vote because, because it, they know a lot of folk won't believe what they're, what they're being told. So therefore you're not going to get the vote, but don't forget the Trilateral Commission was designed to get the big agenda done without vote, people voting on it. They'd work behind the scenes, they'd appoint leaders to governments across the world, and they'd been awfully successful. And they came out with that, I think, during the, the Carter administration. It was the first administration to suddenly announce this whole trilateral organization to the world. And Brzezinski, too, was a member who helped set it up. So they could, they could get things done behind the scenes without the public even knowing about. So that's what we're living in today. So they're bringing in a controlled society, a, a scientifically controlled society, they claim. But even their sciences and their claims of things need an awful lot of faith to believe in, obviously. So it's a religion, of course, to an extent, for those who have to follow it. For those who manage it, they don't believe in it themselves. They know it's an excuse to bring in a a long-awaited, scientific, humanistic kind of society, where H.G. Wells mentioned in Things to Come, where literally the scientific elite would, would rule the world on behalf of those who owned it, basically. Hasn't changed the agenda, you see. And that's just a brief recap, because I don't want to go into all again. But getting back to money, and so money's always been a big, big part of it. And in money, there's nothing you can't do if you control billions of dollars, for instance. Like the think tanks, there's nothing you cannot do. They don't get taxed, the foundations. They, have, they can invest as well. And with uh, investments and massive returns... They can, uh, and they have, of course, create massive armies of demonstrators of all kinds who, who are all on board with the exact same agenda, climate change, or save the planet, environmentalism, etc. It's all the same agenda. Depopulate, bring down the human species, etc. And by eliminating industry and the, death across Europe and the Americas, uh, they boasted about it, I think Morris Strong even boasted about it too, that they'd have to, the worst thing that, 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 that the West had was massive industry, they'd have to eliminate it and reduce everyone to a state of poverty, obviously. Eventually that will happen. Because we're still, we haven't adjusted a system to, to manage us all in a post-industrial society. We're still getting taxed. We still have masses of payments for our country's debts to, to the World Bank, etc. 
So we've got nothing to, to make up the difference, really. You can't all work in computers. We can't all compete with the whole world working with computers. And it's not meant to last forever. It's a partial way measure to something else in the future, of course. I was looking too, the, 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 again, I've always kept an eye on the, the population figures put out for every country. And they, they, for, oh, for so many years now, they've, they've been on and on about overpopulation, but the countries in the West are, are declining. And they're only kept up by large immigration. And it's going to continue. Of course, and again, lots of lots of migrants come in too from large family nations, and with a taste of more and more wealth, they no doubt at all will eventually go the same way of having fewer members of the family, and they prefer to have that extra money, etc. Just like everybody before them has has done in the West, and the population will decline again, and again, and again. Japan has an article out too how their population has really hit an all-time low for births today. They're going to have to accept more and more migrants to keep their own population up. Mind you, Japan has a lot of real heavy industries long ago. Otherwise, they'll go the same way as everybody else. So what we're looking at, too, is a controlled system of gradual reduction of the population. It's actually speeding up quite a bit now as the people go the same way of preferring the, uh, the luxuries of life and uh, the, the more holidays abroad or whatever it happens to be that they're into and not having families, which costs a lot of money. So you're back to money again. Money's a tremendous control factor where people, many people, and, and even before and after Charles Galton Darwin's book, The Next Million Years, Money's always been used as a, as a weapon. There are many ways to, to try and coerce people not to have children. And the lack of money is an awfully good way to do it because children are, will cost money. And again, if in, a, in a system where everyone now must work, including men or women, or you don't get so many families today except very wealthy families that can have a person at home to look after the children or afford a nanny or something like that then it's even harder for people to have children as you go down the class system. And yes, the class system is alive and well. Let's not kid ourselves. It's, it's definitely still here, <laughs> alive and well. They don't talk about it much, but uh, it's there all right. And in the class system of, of this modern class system, it's uh, you, you can have a bureaucratic class and a very large bureaucratic class. Now, when you look at how many people today work for government, Directly, and all the agencies that are indirectly involved in getting paid by government, which is all taxpayer funded, in other words, it, it's staggering today. It really is staggering. So, um, the taxpayers, they fund it all. And obviously, if money is real at all in the way it's supposedly managed and handled, in a state where we're supposedly all bankrupt, all the, personally and uh, nationally we're bankrupt, and then internationally everybody's bankrupt supposedly to the World Bank. How can they keep this creating money out of nothing, which is what it is, isn't it? Uh, you can't do it yourself because you'll get a bill or a final demand or are you going to the bankruptcy court if you can't pay your debts? 
big nations, strangely enough, with the best supposedly brains in the business working as economists for, for countries and nations and businesses and so on at the top. Supposedly, we can just continue this forever. Well, we can't, obviously. If it's real, eventually the piper must be paid. The only way we can go on like this is if, it's, if none of it is real at all. And, and Alan Greenspan said about America, the U.S., he said they could never go bankrupt now because they simply print money. To print money today is still used, the term, even though most of it's electronic. So you don't even need that at all. It's just, it's just punched into computers and that's it. So if there's no real accounting of money, how can they constantly have people <laughs> who are managing it all for us and deciding to make it more expensive for us to live buying basics? Because that is the agenda now to go into austerity by upping all the prices of food, etc. It's been going on steadily since the, two, the last crash. And was authorized to do so by the government, all the governments involved to start jacking up basic energy costs because that's a big part of it. Anything that is beneficial to personal and national and collective survival, like health, for instance, and food, <laughs> is going to get more and more restrictive and more costly. And again, as, as you cut back to and all of the, the alternatives that, that are not even going to be used as a, as a supplement, really, to produce energy in emergencies like coal, etc. They're all getting closed down and dismantled. When the time comes, we're going to be in an awful state. But we're all supposed to suffer for the good of the planet, we're told. But it's really, it's the old eugenic system and scientific management of the true, the true socialist ideal as opposed to the, the, the one that the people at the bottom think is all about, <laughs> as I'll be nice to each other. No, no, true socialism at the top was a scientifically managed society. That's what it was supposed to end up being. All the top capitalists were on board with that way of managing the system. It's easier to control and manage the public that way, as far as you're concerned. So we're supposed to go into austerity, and at the same time, pay more and more and more for the same vital necessities. That's what's... The agenda's happening this way because it's planned that way. And don't think for a second that nations that can get on board with world wars and so on very quickly and gear up towards it very quickly and be very efficient at it very quickly couldn't possibly manage a system and keep you all living as, at a good standard of living and uh, and a protein, a good protein intake, etc. At the same time, they couldn't do it. Of course they could do it. Of course they could do it. The cutbacks are planned that way because you're supposed to have a big, big population drop by about 2050, according to the big think tanks that work for, with the military. The futurist societies that work for the military and the think tanks. And 2050, don't say why it's suddenly going to drop. But they say it's suddenly going to drop. So I guess that'll be when the price of butter goes up to about $50, $50 a pound or something. Has it doubled this recent year? Pretty well in Canada. To about six bucks, I think it is. Or just over six dollars. So that's what we're living in, folks. We're living in a, a planned system, a planned takedown of all the things that were beneficial to a healthy society, which also obviously leads towards a population growth 
if people get married and have children, for instance, or even if they don't get married and women decide to have children and, be, and they're able to afford it, uh, then, then uh, you know, that's detrimental to their agenda for depopulation, step by step. So you simply make, make energy, which is awfully vital for a healthy society, make it hard, uh, more expensive, so folk can't heat themselves properly. When you can't do that, houses get moldy and, uh, and uh, very unhealthy to live in. You get pneumonia and people die, especially the young and, and old to start with. You add malnutrition along the way and it'll happen all the, all the faster. And when you look at all the supposed well-funded greenie organizations out there, they're all part of this um, make-believe system of of uh, experts going to help save the planet because that's what it is. It's a make-believe system here because it, yes, they really want to believe in it to believe they could do that at all. They're all well-funded, well-organized, etc. And how dare anybody train youngsters to be revolutionaries to bring down the population of the planet? With, do you get a vote on that in this supposed democratic system? Well, you don't, do you? We live in a world that's hostile. The elements are hostile to nature. The first thing we do in any civilization is try to get a shelter to, to stay in. And if you can at least keep the rain off you long enough, you might live longer. If you can't keep it off, you aren't going to live terribly long. You need to heat yourself in cold climates. Uh, you, you need a lot of good fuel to make this happen. And it's going to be cheap enough to, to, to make you, but so you can afford it if you're going to keep money on the go, that is. Don't forget you have societies where you wouldn't really need money. You can get issued credits by the state, like Bertrand Russell said they would eventually. Electronic ones, and uh, they could withhold them if you're bad, or like you simply cut off your payments and so on. Some of us are already going through that kind of problem right now. You're not living in democracy. You're not living in a, in a system of even uh, moderate free speech. It's not moderate anymore. If you say anything at all, they can explain what's happening to the people. You will be attacked. And you don't have to have any hate involved in it. You simply have to state the facts and you will be attacked. That's just accept. That's how it is. We're in a new chapter, as I've said before, of the control system. And it won't be pleasant down the road as it becomes more and more oppressive, more dictatorial. And as they force more and more people to buckle under, or, the, or you're going to starve to death. You are. They, they will do, they will use all these techniques. Don't think you're in some kind of advanced civilized system here. All the signs around you are of just the opposite. All these techniques have been used before in the worst tyrannical systems that, that we've ever seen on the planet. And that's just a fact. But again, it was planned long ago, and Bertram Russell said that, that the state would issue credits eventually. Now, you don't have to get right from the government. They can use private organizations to do it, right? And they'll be accessing your bank accounts and everything else, and then uh, you, you'll eventually, won't be able to save them up. You've got to use them every month, that's what Russell said. Uh, so you'd all, you'd all, at the bottom, you'd all be equal at the bottom level, you know. Your, your elite couldn't be as equal as you naturally, as Orwell said, uh, some are more equal than others in such utopias.
yeah, they can freeze you out altogether if you haven't, if you've been socially undesirable in your comments or your behavior and that. Use this form of punishment. Well, you're seeing that happening in the world today. It's going to get worse. So I think it's time, I really do think it's time that we should just toss this idea of democracy out the window because we're not in one. We're not in a democracy. And governments are not listening to the general public at all on anything because the governments are on board with big international corporations, as Carl Quigley said there would be, because the, the CEOs of the corporations are part of the new governing system. They have been for a long time. And Carl Quigley said, this is the new CEOs of this new feudal system, are the CEOs of international corporations. That's who governments listen to. That's what politicians listen to. Because who gives them money to run for their elections? And believe you me, when the corporations give you money, it's not because they, they let your, uh, your hair cut or something. It's because... They expect, they expect little favours to be, that they'll ask down the road to be complied with and reciprocated, right? For their donations. That's how it works. That's how it works. Now this week I was going to talk about a whole bunch of things, kind of tentatively, because there really is not much news at all. In fact, if you look at the news today, it's like Groundhog Day again from 20, 30 years ago. It's just the same news over, same wars, you know? Same topics. And anything that really matters, what, what really is missing, is what you used to get when you, when you had at least some kind of show of democracy, where governments would have to, um, insert the newspapers, and, and the papers would have to comply and show the, the public, at least what the governments were working on, different bills and so on, and that way the public could get involved and have their say before it was passed or done, and they might even just reject the bill eventually. Well, you don't get that now, if you've noticed. You, you don't get told about bills until they are passed. You didn't even know they were getting passed, or <laughs> who drafted them up or anything. And sometimes it's not even your own countries that draft them up. So you're in a, a, a oddball system here, and they'll still go through the same motions of, of vote for this person or that person, who, who says they expected slogans and repeat them of whatever party they belong to. It's that obvious today, isn't it? But in reality, we're being managed with in a system where they're not happy policing simply speech. Now, I understand, too, that all of this would come down. I knew it 20-odd, 30 years ago. <laughs> Because I can remember 30 years ago when they said, before you were given the internet to the public, that the system would be given eventually, a system would be given to the public, where mass communication across the planet would be very easy, and they'd have to gear up for information warfare, because there'd be so many different countries all vying for power over other countries by using this particular new system. But they also mentioned about it might be hard to keep control over the public, with this ability to communicate their ideas and information to each other. That was a, that was a scary thing to those in power. Naturally, it always has been. That's why they, they generally give you the topics they par on about, yeah, even if they're not true, or even if they're just trivia. It doesn't matter as long as you're, you're parting about some other distraction. But you admit today, too, you have a society, and you can't tell who's who 
on the internet with all the different chat rooms. I did talks again years ago about this. From the, again, from published documentation on the studies. And they found that you had all these different, call it sock puppet bots and so on, all chatting, literally computers, uh, pretending they're people chatting to you, all set up by intelligence. They have you all fighting with each other. And then you've got thousands and thousands of people paid to do the same thing online live, just, just, just to disrupt everything and to get everybody going at it. Uh, a tremendous power when you think about it, when you can get everybody talking about the same things or, or, or giving them the right things to argue about all at the same time across the world. And what you're doing, you're not creating a logical system, a system based on logic or logical argument. You're giving them nothing but emotive content. And immediately if you get emotive content, you'll get them arguing. And, and, and they get an argument. And people today aren't polite about it. They, they, they do it so often and, and it's almost like a dreamlike state there. And I really think that they are in a dreamlike state, to be honest with you. Stuck in their little rooms or whatever they're stuck in. Uh, yelling at each other and, and texting each other. And it's all abuse, abuse, abuse. And that, that is, is the main topics are topics that have been given to argue about. Isn't that amazing? To watch it happening. It really is amazing. A few years ago, I put up an article. It was from MIT. And it was a professor there who was, who literally stated that they were going to put out false histories. And then they would have the students work on these, disseminating these false histories in a test. And obviously they got real time tap into all the, all the chatter on the internet by, by one of the government agencies to get that permission. To accident. But then they could actually see how great, uh, how quickly uh, this chatter was picked up and repeated by everybody else. And the way they could, they could devise the false hit, they could get everybody fighting everybody else. Do you realize we're living in one of the biggest laboratory that's ever been created and most folk don't even know it because we just adapt into it so easily because especially when they're younger, it's always been there for them and to them it's all quite natural. It's only a natural system they know, and it's not natural at all. You see what I'm saying? And you find older folk too going right into it, thinking, well, it's, until they forget what the past was like, and they forget what caution is like, and they forget how nasty, really nasty, childhood behavior can really be as they start to alter-repeat childhood behavior by abusing each other like crazy. Isn't it amazing? Now, all this is well known by those who are studying us all the time. But as I say, that there's lots of agencies out there deliberately pursuing this very path of causing the problems. Years ago, I said, I didn't trust politics. I naturally had come to the conclusion long before I'd read anything about other people who'd come to the same conclusions. Like I mentioned before, the Durants, for instance, he eventually came to the conclusion after following communism and all the rest of it. He said that people who go into politics want power, and people who want power could never be trusted, and so he could never have peace. That, so he, he gave up pretty well towards the end of his life. But he wasn't the only one who had done that, and you find that George Orwell gave you the same ideas in Animal Farm. But he also gave you, in 1984, the system of total control 
where even your hopes of a helping hand were fake to get out, out of a heli system of oppression. Because 1984 had, had lots of elements of, of the Soviet system at that time, with its mock trials, etc. Where everyone confessed about everything you were told to confess about, you'd do it. And if you're tortured enough, you will. Just to hear the end of, of the torture. Of course you will. But he also showed you, they'd give you fake um, systems of, here's the truth, here's the truth, come here and get the truth. And Winston, the character in 1984, really thinks that, that, that he's being brought into an inner, an inner revolutionary group who are going to overthrow Big Brother in this totalitarian, tyrannical system. And he was being set up by the very system that already ruled. I gave talks on that too, how you can't trust anything out there. Because there's nothing new under the sun. And organizations have always put out fronts to draw people out, to use them often, and at the very least is to point them out. See, we told you, we told you these, these crazies are out there. That, that, that's always happened, that will always happen. Because 1984 is a, was a textbook in how it's done in a sense. And 1984 was about a system where all hope is pretty well gone. And he's a glimmer of light, and you think, wow, I'll, I'll grab a hold of that. And so you do. And again, sure enough, it was false. You're being led into a trap. To suck you out, you see. Whenever you get emotional about something or angry, you better stop and ask you who's caused you to be emotionally angry about something. And why? Because if your point of even existing in, say, a, a political type system is to, to, to run things logically and practically, then you can't allow the emotion to come in. When emotion starts to reign supreme, you have civil wars. And then you have, and someone's, someone's playing you all. And then you have uh, the revolutions that have been hell in the past for most people. And they've never been honest either. You know. And when any materialistic, atheistic type system comes in, or even humanistic, which is a religion in itself actually, system come in, comes in, they're always ruthless. Uh, they're practical, all right. They don't, they don't want to sit and listen to you plead for your life. And... And they won't listen to you plead to have better care, whatever it is in the dungeon you're, you're thrown into. And they'll think nothing of torture either, because torture for, for sadists is even more addictive as they go on through it, you see. And people who crave power are often, often, very often sadistic as well. They're sadists. What I'm getting at is you better all be awfully careful. Very careful of what's presented to you as facts. When you look at the writings that are put out by communists, for instance, um, the early communists, then when they created the Young Communist Leagues across the old Soviet Union, they, they had textbooks for, for those who managed them all on using the youth 
to demand the very things that the leaders of the parties wanted them, wanted them to demand. It's easy to get children, youngsters, to demand things by showing them a partial story. A partial story. Because you see, when you're young, you see things in black and white. You don't, you don't see the grey areas. And, and it's in the grey areas you have all the big deceptions on the go. So it's easy to get them into an emotional, aggressive fury against the older folk or something, or whatever it happens to be, whatever target they're, they're given to target. On behalf of those at the top, they want to use them all for those purposes. When you're being used like that, I would never join, I've said that, I would never join anything. Because I'm telling you, the amount of manipulation over groups of people, Bernays talked about it, right? Edward Bernays, and he said in his, his manual, really, for marketing and using groups and so on, and don't forget, he literally was an advisor and a, a manipulator that worked on behalf of about four or five different presidents. Even how to get a country into a war, World War I. He and a few other ones were given that task, how to persuade American public to be all for the war, to get them on board before they get in. And they hired the biggest marketing company that existed at the time in New York City. And they came out with it and persuaded America to go into the war in 1917. And afterwards, they were so bold and brazen about it, he wrote a book about how they'd managed it. <laughs> it's quite fascinating. But he said too in his book about propaganda and so on, he said that to mark for marketers, don't create a group if, if, unless you really have to, if it doesn't exist. He says you go into different cities and and look at oh, look at a phone book. He said at that time it was all phone books, and he said look up organisations and you get your church organisations, you, you can have education organisers and teachers associations, and and you go to the head of each each one, and religious and so on, go to the heads of them. And get them on board with you. And I'm meaning, you, you, you'll come to natural agreements, and it could be, it could be financial, you see. <laughs> because they have their flocks and their followers, and if you can get them all to follow, you see, uh, then you've saved all that money and persuasive footwear and all the rest of it to padding around house to house. Use existing organizations, no matter what it is you're there for. You've, you go to and get, get the religious organizations behind you, even though what, you're, what you want them to do is not religious in nature, you see. They're organizations, they have many members, and if they can persuade them to follow along, it's a good thing for Well, he says, you've, you've done it, you see. Quite easy, isn't it? Well, education, as you know, is a great tool for those who already rule the world. Because there's, there's more propaganda and indoctrination going on there to create the future revolutionaries and, and those who will demand this and demand that on behalf of the very, very old and wealthy folk who really are their bosses, which they don't even know exist. <laughs> but uh, that's a lot of power, and it shouldn't be in schools as far as I'm concerned. I don't know about you. This is my opinion. Everybody is a, a, allowed their opinion, and you've got to allow that too, because if you've been tolerant to all opinions... Uh, then eventually some will be intolerant towards you. Obviously. So anyway, we live in a completely different system, as I say, than the one you're brainwashed into believing exists. 
But if you can really try and keep apart from the stories you're reading or whatever happens, and always ask who benefits from this? Who's behind it? Do a little bit of digging. You'll be surprised how quickly you can come up with uh, the funders of uh, organizations. And you can even look at some of the top speakers who might, uh, uh, if you're really, you know, if you've got a good mind that won't get bored that easily, you, you actually find out who's, who've, who's given talks to different organizations that you never even imagined would be involved in. It gives you an idea of what, who's, who runs the agenda. It's the same global agenda. It generally is, actually. And you, you find out who benefits, etc., etc. But if you follow the careers of the leaders of NGO groups, you'll see they're lifelong. Uh, they've got pension plans and retirement plans and all, but they're awfully well managed, well trained and well paid. So I've been prattling on here, and I didn't mean to even go into this tonight, but as I say, the, the news, is, there's a dearth of news out there. There really is. As we go into this new chapter, you're not supposed to be told what really is happening to you. And you get lots of little nicey-nicey stories that you'll never remember the next day because they're irrelevant to the world. Lots of nice photographs of pets and things and rescued animals and stuff like that. But again, it won't make any difference to the world. This is a substitute for what used to be news. But what you are hearing occasionally from some, some media and newspapers across the planet, what you will hear, you even get the full speeches of the radical, the, the, the newly, the, the long-trained from youth, picked from youth, the trained future leaders of the world, giving their far, far, uncom tyrannical speeches on the world they want, they want to bring in. And it's exactly from the same agenda from 19... 50s, 1960s, 70s to the present time hasn't veered off at all and uh, the world will be brought down into into austerity I gave the talks years ago and believe you me, they're going to do it they never ever change their agenda never ever do and they needed an enemy to unite the planet well man's the enemy of the planet therefore you're united against yourselves <laughs> and you're going to pay for it dearly you see quite something a lot of prattling I'm doing here, but as I say, there's, just, there's no news at all really out there to, to give to people. You will see too the massive changes, as I say, not just in family units. We've, we've seen that over for a long, long period of time, even when I was small too. I think that the family was becoming more and more dysfunctional. It had done it long before I was born, even after World War I, they said. It was going down the hill, and then World War Two came along. And with, again, with, with the strangest bizarreness, very schizophrenic reality for people of military fighting age at that time, World War II. Because they had all the movies again churned out like a machine, churning them out, propaganda machines, aimed at them about the happy dancing things they could do. They're all in uniform and all these war movies, propaganda movies, and all from America, shown across, especially Britain. And that, that literally, I think that changed the minds of everybody who saw them, especially the young girls, because they thought that they deserved uh, what they saw in the American movies. You know, money, good money, complete fiction and fantasy. They thought that every American lived in a big mansion. They really thought that, lots of them, from the movies that were getting churned out. And everybody had a car, everybody had a phone, which is true, they had phone. Most folk in Britain, even much, much later than that, that I knew when up didn't have phones either. It was uh, too expensive. Most folk I knew didn't have cars either. 
So you can see how attractive it was to see these movies with with uh, this display of wealth. Of course, they didn't know the reality of it. They didn't know, too, a lot of the working people across America were living in much the same conditions as they were. You know? uh, the only difference is they might technically own their house, but about the same size houses, too, than the council houses they were renting in Britain. You know, so really, there wasn't much difference that way. So what I'm saying is we're, we, we get our thoughts given to us mainly through fiction, for those who have never figured that out. And not, you know, I say it so many times, people keep forgetting. Why do you think, you did just do a, a, a survey on the old movies from, say, the, well, right up and through, through 1930s, right through the, the, to the 1970s, say. The time when the stars were getting incredible amounts of money at them, through them. And look at the stars. The scripts were churned out. They even made movies, like John Wayne admitted to some of the movies. Many of the movies he was in took three days to shoot. You just went along, made them up as you went along, basically. And John Wayne was literally the same character in every movie. He was the same personality in every movie. And lots of folk were like that, you see. Didn't matter, but they were given so much money because fiction is a great tool to use for the public to be on your side when there's wars coming up, things like that, you see. Or as distractions, too, away from the reality or the misery that perhaps you're reliving in. So fiction will always be used as, as a great uh, pacifier, a great manager, you might say, of our free time, for sure, and to give us the thoughts they say that we should be thinking about, or giving you lots of thoughts that, that don't matter to power because... The, the, it, is, it just distracts you from doing anything constructive, perhaps, that power wouldn't like. A tremendous tool, a tremendous tool. But most of your ideas you get from fiction, as I say. But you've seen the family has been destroyed, you've seen different kinds of families being created. Uh, and But even with, the, with all of this, with today's society, all groups and all types of people are having awful problems with uh, relationships. It doesn't matter what they are basically, or how they're constructed, doesn't matter. Because today's life is so artificial, isn't it? From what went before in the past. It's really so artificial. And what we do even do for a living is often so artificial as well. And you can imagine too, when you went to the future societies, and I've done talks for years too, many years, on the projections of how it's going to be in the future, right down to, it was not just transhumanism, it was right down to creating specific types of humans for specific jobs. They have literally official scientific books out there from big science foundations where scientists discuss genetic manipulation beyond Brave New World and simply getting created and basically artificially and so on. But way beyond that, into a world where if we need so many people to, to, to go under the, the, the sea, to, to do undersea welding and oil sea rigs and things like that, then we can create these people to withstand the credible pressures and even have gills. If this is what they say they, could, they think they could do. You understand, with unlimited financing, there's really hardly anything you can't do. Really. That's where research and development is all about. That's where most of the money for war goes to, is research and development. So you've always got to have perpetual states of war. The Cold War was the greatest, greatest 
Boone never had for R&D recession development for missiles and things they never used because most of the money was going into the satellites that they eventually used for surveilling everybody. That's what the real purpose of it. And they knew that at the beginning. <laughs> That's where it's all going to go eventually. The totally controlled monetary society. And so you get it through again fiction. And so, by the way, John, nothing wrong with John Wayne as a person. I'm sure he was a nice, nice guy. But what I'm saying is, Look at all these famous actors or actresses. And many of them, as I say, were the same characters in every movie they were in. (laughs) Because they were not character actors. But they could adapt to different roles. Most of them, that is. Now, I'll just give you a few articles here to look up to if you want to. That gives you a little bit of food for thought. As I say, this week is not uh, in-depth or new in any way. It's just... Stating the obvious, there's just nothing to really prattle on about this week. As far as news goes, I could certainly give lots of talks and a lecture kind of forum on different things, but I've been awfully busy this week myself doing things that are awfully, awfully important because I myself am getting problems from different sources today. As I say, we're in a, a very intolerant system, and unfortunately it's going to be much more intolerant as time goes on. And they only want certain of their own people, let's say, giving you any information whatsoever from authorized, the authorized sources from themselves, which means 99% of the real information is going to, you'll never hear it in the first place. It's never going to happen. That is the new system we're in, you know. Under the guise, it's all for peace from the very sources of those who create no peace. <laughs> That's quite something. But uh, I'll put an article too about the new data privacy guidelines that it says it carries the hopes of hundreds of millions of people around the world, including the U.S., to rein in abuses by big tech companies. Well, that's a joke because that's never going to happen. The big tech companies are part of the big oligarchical system, the rulers, basically, and they're completely interlaced with all the top spy agencies, as we know. And spy agencies have lots of legitimate big corporations out there. They always have that. They make real things that you'll, you'll buy. Because it's all to do with control, isn't it? Anyway, this is almost a year later, as a part of the new rules of a significant loophole, the designated lead regulator of the Italian nation of Ireland has yet to bring in enforcement action against a big tech firm. I say it's not surprising, despite its vows to beef up its threadbare regulatory apparatus, Ireland has a long history of catering to the very companies it's supposed to oversee, having wooed top Silicon Valley firms to the Emerald Isle with promises of low taxes, open access to top officials, and help securing funds to build glittering new headquarters. Now, data privacy experts and regulators in other countries are questioning Ireland's commitment to policing imminent privacy concerns like Facebook's reintroduction of facial recognition software and data sharing with its recently purchased subsidiary called WhatsApp and Google's sharing of information across its burgeoning number of platforms. This is from Political, uh, this article. I'll put this article up for you to read in its entirety. It's interesting, don't think it's just Ireland. Ireland was encouraged with it by the EU central bank to borrow, borrow, borrow and, and, and do well, etc. And to bring in these big companies that would pay off the debts. Well, bank, they're, they're bankrupt now in Ireland. 
because because the, the, the uh, again you can, you can look up. It might be on my site too, but you can look up the talks that they had with the central bank head, the, the central bank of, of the European Union. That is, they have a big central bank for that, who dictates to them because they're in so much debt now. Yeah. Money is the biggest power out there, really, really is. As I say, they can force you to not have children. They can force all the negative uh, population reduction techniques to be forced upon people or women who, who can't afford children. And having children at school is, is phenomenally expensive now. It isn't just little notepads you're buying them nowadays, is it? They want electronic ones and they want the latest. And and the, and the, the schools constantly tell them they'll need more and more or the better ones, the better ones will be left behind. Anyway... I see Ireland definitely has been hammered and money will keep them under the boot, the jack boot, you might say, for a long time, maybe forever. Japan's child population declines for the 38th year in a row. I mean, that was a record low, but that went up, I mentioned it earlier. And also, I'll put up Britain. Again, Britain, uh, there's nothing happening in Britain that wasn't foreseen by those who manage Britain. They've got the mass... Knifing's going on all over the place. They have a lawless system of, of gangs on, on motorbikes going around, literally. They call them scooters or mopeds, uh, robbing. And they have been for years. Now the schools are putting in knife arches at the gates. A stabbing epidemic grips wild West Britain. That's the title of the article. An outsider looking into the country will, you know, I'm sure it's the same. You could give the same story about any country and it'd terrify the folk to go there. But the fact is Britain does have traveler warning guides out there for travelers who want to come in for holidays into London, different cities, because it's so bad now. When it's a lawless system, believe you me, it could have been prevented altogether. It could be dealt with much more severely than it's even attempted, but it hasn't happened. So there's, there's other purposes happening behind it for, for, for to make this all happen. Something else will come out of all of this. Never mind just the restrictions on everybody, obviously, like stopping searches in the streets and so on in Britain. But yeah, there's big, big arches that they walk through to try to detect any, which the same things that they've had in the schools and in the States for many years, in fact. But Britain used to pride itself and it didn't have all these problems. Well, Britain, I don't see Britain as what most folk think it is. I don't see any country with uh, an image that's presented to the people because what you're presented with is is to keep you rather naive (laughs) and it's often a very different system at work altogether. It's no different than looking at intelligence services and what they work on. You'll never get to the bottom of it. You'll never figure it out. You'll, you might think your reason why they did this to that, to this to that, to this to that, but you, you'll never, you'll never figure it out. I'm not kidding you. It's meant to, to be almost schizophrenic, the way that they design that their big escapades into the into into their schemes and their war games and so on. You'll never really figure it out any more than you really figure out why those who really really do rule Britain. Allowed it to get to the stage. There'll be some other, there's always, always other things behind it and things that'll get out of it that you'd never come up All you'll see is that's terrible and you get emotional about again, you're back into emotion and you've, you've lost, you've lost the game as soon as you get emotionally involved. 
I suppose. And also, how to spy on Google and Facebook spying, it says. A free online tool lets you check out tech firms, track users' battery levels, Wi-Fi, signal strength, and location. That was in the mail, Daily Mail, Mail Online, of, of how it happens and so on. One other article, too, and it's from a listener, and it's from 2012, and it says how Target, you know, Target figured out a teen girl was pregnant before her father did. And it says every time you go shopping, you share intimate details about your consumption patterns with retailers. And many of those retailers are studying those details to figure out what you like, what you need, and which coupons are most likely to make you happy. You have no idea how, how completely you understood if you go cashless altogether and use their cards for everything. This is which coupons are most likely to make you happy. Target, for example, has figured out how to data mine its way into your womb to figure out whether you have a baby on the way long before you need to start buying diapers. And it gives you an example. Charles Duhigg outlines the New York Times how Target tries to hook parents to be at the crucial moment before they turn into rampant and loyal buyers of all things pastel, plastic, and miniature. He talked to Target's statistician, Andrew Pohl, before Target freaked out and cut off all communications about the clues to a customer's impending bundle of joy. Target assigns every customer a guest ID number tied to the credit card name or email address that becomes a bucket that stores a history of everything they've bought and any demographic information Target has collected from them or bought from other sources. Using that, Paul looked at the circle of buying data for all the ladies who'd signed up for Target babies registries in the past from the New York Times. And they give you what happened about buying lotion and so on. They notice women on the baby register were buying larger quantities of unscented lotion around the beginning of their second trimester. All this stuff about you, see? Then you start buying things like calcium, magnesium, about 20 weeks, and etc., etc. The crawl through the data was able to identify about 25 products that were analyzed together, allowed them to assign each shopper a pregnancy prediction score. More importantly, it also estimated her due date to within a small window so Target could send coupons time to very specific stages of pregnancy. Anyway, one Target employee spoke to provide a hypothetical example to a fictional Target shopper named Jerry Ward, 23 years in Atlanta, and in March bought a cocoa butter lotion, purse large enough to double as a diaper bag, zinc and magnesium supplements, and a bright blue rug. There's an 87% chance she's pregnant and that her delivery date is sometime in late August. Hmm. Now, they also have some real articles too, the complaints that, that Target had got. Because Ty was sending coupons out and so on to these people, right? That, that, that thinks it's going to maybe getting pregnant or are, or are pregnant. But one was from a, a, a father. Uh, it says, my daughter got this in the mail. He said, she's still in high school and you're sending her coupons for baby clothes and cribs. Are you trying to encourage her to get pregnant? The manager didn't have any idea what the man was talking about. He looked at the mailer. Sure enough, it was addressed to the man's daughter and contained advertisements for maternity clothing, nursery furniture, and pictures of smiling infants. The manager apologized and then called a few days later to apologize again. It says, on the phone, though, the fire was somewhat abashed. I had a talk with my daughter. He says, turns out there's been some activities in my house I haven't been completely aware of. She's due in August. I owe you an apology. So you understand you're in a system where you've fallen into all the, they call them mousetraps, by the way. Here's coupons that are free. Here's this, blah, blah. Here's a, you take this, this customer 
a card for any, all different stores and they know all your data and so on. There's preference and your little discounts, little mouse traps, they call them, as I've seen from the banking industry. Uh, and you've given up all your freedoms to privacy. And they know everything about you. Pretty well everything. And not only that, there's articles out, stacks of articles about now insurance companies have access to all this data, what you eat, if you love candies and chocolates, etc. You get a bit of beasts, blah, 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 blah. Because the system we're living in today is, first they're going to come down on smokers, by the way, and cut back on the treatments for any problems that smoking they say has caused. Then they're going to follow up with obese people. You're starting to get the picture with everything, folks. You're being trained like a herd by the big farmers who now claim that they own you. They certainly own all your data, and you gave it all up willingly. Aldous Huxley said it in, in his talks at Berkeley and other places too, in his books his, and his interviews on television. He said, he said, the people really will come to love their servitude. It's kind of like the Bible where Jesus says, my, my yoke is light. Well, you see, you don't see it as being a heavy burden, giving all this data away. You don't see it right away. You don't see it right away. But you're dealing with a system where you technically are owned when you give all your, your data and your freedoms away. Huh? Perhaps legally too. So think about it. Then there's DARPA. The big organization that uh, defense uses, DARPA, Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. They're always putting out little articles about how this little chip helped a quadriplegic and so on. It might help, because they're really in the business of helping quadriplegics. That's what they're there for, right? Yeah. This is a big defense advanced research projects for the, for the military industrial complex. The guys who gave you under ARPA before they added the D to it, the, they were the ones who, who ran the computer systems and developed them all for the Cold War. Before they gave it to you to monitor you. Anyway, they said, can neural implants help you recover your memory? Oh, I've always knew they were the, the most altruistic system service out there really, aren't they? So a small trial in 15 patients at uh, Wake Forest Baptist Medical Center, prosthetic memory implant helped patients improve short-term memory by an average of 35%. So there's your PR articles. That's the type of stuff they put out, right? And But then you go into this one here. And DARPA wants brain implants that record from 1 million neurons. Hmm? They want to jolt the nervous system with electricity, laser, sound waves, and magnets. Hmm. And the, the big, big headline at the top of the page is actually DARPA wants brain interfaces for able-bodied war fighters. So there's the real purpose of it there, right? And yes, they'll experiment with everybody else they can get for free, but, uh, but it's for, it's for able-bodied war fighters. N3 program will create no surgery required neurotech that the general public may also find useful. Isn't that interesting? You might find it useful. It says, until now, the, the neuroscience programs at DARPA, the mad science wing of the Department of Defense, have focused on technologies for war fighters who have returned home with disabilities of the brain. It says, but the way the military fights wars is changing, and so must DARPA's priorities. A conference last week to celebrate DARPA's 60th anniversary, officials described the next frontier of neuroscience research technologies for able-bodied soldiers that give them super abilities.
Warfighters need new ways to interface and interoperate with machines, says Al Amondi, manager of DARPA's newest neurotech program. But most of the technologies developed at this point require surgery. What got us here won't take us there. So the new system really, where they won't need surgery. They could high tech, they can transmit high fidelity signals between the brain and some external machine without requiring the user be cut open for newing or implementation. So they announced that uh, in March, it says, odd name, come on, that means that must be a made up name, surely. It's like E for electronic world, Mond. Anyway, but anyway, if there isn't, who cares? It's, it's currently picking researchers who will be funded under the program. And they would expect announcements early 2019, so it should be time now. They've had helmets before and things like that, but of course they have ways now to to even go much, much further away from the people or the object or the target to to basically interfere with your brain. <laughs> and getting back to how cruel the world really is. And it's cruel. It's a cruel world. And... We've got to remember that it's uh, we live in to an extent uh, a naive reality we're being indoctrinated with by those who control us all, and it's sad because if you understood the real world, you would be far more perhaps suspicious, definitely more watchful of the powers that are around you and over you, and you'd have more say perhaps, or you'd make time to say more. About things that are happening, if you really would, is, you understand, this is like Christianity. Christianity was attacked a long time ago, it's still being attacked naturally. Even the United Nations admits it, which is rather, you know, again, it's rather strange that they even bother to admit it. But Christianity was, was different before, of course it was different. And, and forget all these movies you see, these, these were, there are no movies of Christians two or three hundred years ago. We don't have movies about them at the time, for instance, they were made, but the fact is, even before then, Christianity had a recognition that the world was a pretty evil place. They called it the fall. Because of, it doesn't matter what the fall was. The fall was the fallen nature of humans. Uh, that the nature that causes or allows the powerful, hungry, evil people of the planet to cause wars and slaughtering and, and starvations and things like that. Uh, and if and you forget that, it happens like over and over again. What do you mean taught now to be naive? And Christianity today is is like is for children. Even the songs they put out for 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 Christians today are literally the kind of songs that they'd sing at one time in in Sunday school for children, because adults were were taught the harsh realities of history and the world that we live in. And they were taught that the nasty realities of the humans who want power over people. That was essential. And it made you aware of the other side that, that, that rules everything and causes the misery, both, both in a personal situation or a collective situation. And there was a, a more mature people. They weren't shocked by it. They would, they would act on it or they'd try to hit off at the past before it happened. That type of thing. But uh, they had definitely lived a different type of Christian life for those who don't really realize that. I'm not talking about big landowners that, that made everybody miserable and lived like peasants. That did happen in some countries, but not in all the countries. Most of the folk were rather poor themselves.
And they, they didn't want, they also had an idea of what money was and what power was from money. And so they did try to just have enough to get by, but they even taught their children not to love money and not to use it to exploit other people. That was all washed away by steady, steady erosion by the humanists and the atheists and so on until you end up today where you're worshipping people that are billionaires. So much so you allow them to rule over you without even being elected in different parts of the system and the world. So you should always think about it and try to remember how it all happens around you and how the nasty things happen to your supposedly almost sterile world, sterile existence. At one time we all looked after family members who died in our homes. And you take care of them through all the, the terrible things that happen to the body before they die. And children would grow up knowing, and so they had a, they, they realized how valuable human life was, how each other, how we are to each other and what is really valuable. That was, that's all gone today. Hospitals deal with all these things. And then undertakers deal with the rest of it. And last you'll see of any member is perhaps at a, a funeral service, and that's it. It's all rather unreal to, to children growing up. Whereas before, they were present in the homes when it, were, it was happening. That was an essential part. Dying is an essential part of understanding what life is and living, living the life. But it certainly made people more compassionate and more forgiving towards other people for things. Do you understand how easy it is to to, to, to strip you of your defenses for survival or even it's a decent society so it's all one and the same thing I could go into <laughs> I could just to finish off if I could even squeeze them in to do with again uh, your own nations that one article I'll just touch on it 50,000 animals been killed in 7 years in seven years, 50,000, at the Ministry of Defence's top secret port and down research base by being shot, blown up, gassed or poisoned. And they say it's to, the search is used to protect armed forces personnel overseas. I know, I know they, these are for special forces, at least they used to, they, you go in and you, you, you they'd, they'd shoot at, um, sheep, for instance, to wound them all, to kill them, and then they'd go in and have to patch them up. Things like that, yeah. yeah. That's the way it is, folks. But Porton Downs is a, it's a, well, they've got bio-warfare facilities there and everything, too. You've got to think of these, these things. Don't turn your mind away from it because it's unpleasant. If you don't understand the horrific things that run the world or in the world, and it isn't just one nation that's got them, they've all got them, these facilities, then you you couldn't make the world a better place if you if you decided to be ignorant of it all. It's not going to happen. Forget all this. Don't look at the negative. That's not negative. It's horrible. It's a horror thing, and you must look at it. It's the only way change can ever happen. Another article to the past Porton Down can't hide, and to Britain's nerve gas tests, etc. I would use them on young airmen, volunteers, etc. But every country did that. The Canada did, did the same thing too. Did articles back in the 80s about Canadians, the last of them who, who were sprayed overhead by aerial spraying on battlefields, like the, like the practice battlefields inside Canada. 
and they're told it was just to, to test, test different chemicals that wouldn't do them any harm, and they, they all died pretty well of cancers and things. And you find it in every country, if you go digging for the, for the old news articles, when, when news would tell you a lot more than they do now. And then you have another one too, Operation LEC, that's, that's it was in Canada, the U.S. Army Chemical Corps, Operation Dispersal Microscopic Zinc Cadmium Sulfide, particles over much of the U.S. and Canada, and it did over Winnipeg, in order to test dispersal patterns in the geographic range of chemicals or biological weapons. These are carcinogenic things. They used in Britain too, off the coast of Norfolk, um, from basing ships blown in, into the mainland and testing it too. Uh, we're all used like this, folks, in this great civilized system we live in. We were taught now to look at the negative. Huh? I'll put some of these articles up anyway, just because I've got them up anyway right now, not because I could tie them into my talks, but you've got to stop being so naive. And hopefully there's enough people can handle this rather depressing stuff. It can be depressing, sure it is. Uh, but if you can handle it, to at least you become a stronger person. And perhaps down the road, you or your children or somebody yeah, yeah, will speak out too about these things. Because you understand, you get the same characters that do all the, for instance, the, these war for bio-off things. You, you the same character, and, and the big chemical companies involved in, in for very fast bucks and all the rest of it, and growing food and all the rest of it for, that you're eating. You better think of these things. We are technically, like Charles Fort said, <laughs> he said, he said we're, we're farmed, he says. Which means you must have farmers, eh? And that's the only way you can, you can get really positive change. Not, not the, not the, the elite creating the NGO massive armies to protest the very things that they want to, uh, done, you know. Strip me off, off your food supply, strip me off your protein supply, strip me off a heat supply down the road. You better think about it. It's a very, very deceptive world indeed. As I say, at least as the, as the older Christians knew at one time. And they were aware, because of his history, that they were living through the time. They were very, very well aware of it. With all the incredible wars throughout Europe and elsewhere. Some of them lasted a hundred years or more. Some of them never stopped, I think. But we live in such a, 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 a happy, happy television created Fictional reality now, don't we? Well, that's it for today. I better get on with processing this and getting up. And maybe I'll try and get into more of a teaching thing next week. Hopefully, I think, depending on, on the different circumstances and that's happening around me at the moment too. For myself, Alan Watchman here at Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your God's go with you. <laughs>